The following is a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org. We welcome you to this incredible church. I hope you feel what God is doing in this place. This is the Holy Spirit in our midst. And we welcome those listening on podcast. We have people from Hessen, Germany today. Welcome. We welcome you to our podcast. And we, we thank you for being a part of our worship service. Well, this is hard for me to even begin to like let it out of my mouth. Actually, as I was practicing my sermon uh, two weeks ago, I, or last night, it felt like two weeks ago, I started crying as I said this, even in practice, but this is really my second to my last worship service, preaching for you for a while. But in matter of fact, this is the last sermon I will offer this church for a while. Next week, as you heard, we're going to have a really quick message, and uh, you can keep your stopwatch five to ten minutes. We're going to have worship music. I'm going to sing with Caleb and Landon and the worship band a little bit, and we're going to have a lot of time to connect. And then literally after church on Sunday, Star and I and Haley are driving at 12 o'clock as soon as the service is over for Colorado. We are driving from here to Colorado. We are thinking of putting cans behind our car, and (laughs) we're not sure about that, but um, so... This is a big message. In the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the DNA of this church. Who are we? How did we get here? Why are we here? What is the purpose? What did God do here? Why is He doing this? And so last week, we looked at the message, meeting people where they are, and we saw how Jesus did that. He never waited for people to come to the synagogue. He always went out to where people are. And then He would connect with people right where they are in the language that people were speaking, Last week we saw how he spoke to Zacchaeus, this guy in this city, Jericho, that was like the Barstow of like the Middle East, or I'm sorry if you're from Barstow, um, but it was a really tough town, and, and uh, he connected with him, and guess what? The people around Jesus muttered and complained. Anytime any church goes outside of itself and connects with people in the language of the outsider, people are going to complain and say, ah, they're just the Bible light church. But God used Jesus, and they said he was the Bible light teacher. He was the Bible light rabbi. And that is our God. And so we looked at that last week and we saw that Jesus' mission statement was to seek out and to save which was lost. And we saw that our mission statement is right on our doors to help de-churched people become fully devoted followers. That's why we're here. We're not here to help people become more religious. We're not here to help people feel better about themselves. We're not, we're not here to help people like, we're not here to help people like feel, you know, like more spiritual. I mean, those things are fine. Those things are fine. But they're secondary to seeking out and saving people who are lost. So that's our mission statement. Now today I want to offer a message called God's Barn. And if you were here on January 4th, 2009, you heard a message called God's Barn. It is why we call this the barn. Maybe you've heard Highland Church called the barn. We're going to talk about why we do that. So let's pray and then talk about it. Father in heaven, we thank you for this church, this place, this work of the Holy Spirit in our midst. We don't take it for granted. We know that you choose places to work, and you've chosen to work here. And none of us even expected to be in a church or nonetheless building a church. And yet you have worked and let us be a part of this great kingdom-building process. We ask as we think about this church, this barn, that you helped to raise. We pray that you would be with us as we continue with that mission in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you look at the staff, you'll notice that many of us staff have this black bracelet on our wrists, and that's because we were just uh, about a month ago at a national conference that we were going to called uh, Catalyst, which is in Southern California, 
And it's a church conference where we go to get inspired and we hear good speakers and good worship band. The song that you heard that raise our white flag that came from that catalyst worship service that we uh, were a part of. So many of us have these bracelets that say be present on them. That was the theme. But the other thing that we did when we were down there is meet with other churches, talk to other people from other churches. And so I, I talked to a, a big group of folks from a church in the Bay Area. Some were up there, some were San Jose or, or, or San Francisco, or some were up in the Bay Area, a big old church. And they were talking to me about their church, and I was telling about mine. And they said, they said well, tell me about Highlands Church. I said, well, it's in Paso Robles, California. They said, oh, Pastor Robles, I know Pastor Robles, that's where the Mid-State Fair is. And I said, you bet it is. And they said, I, be, I went to the ACDC concert. And right then I knew that their judgment was a little off, but we'll leave that one aside. So uh, they talked about that and, uh, and they said, well, tell me about your church. And I said, well, if you were driving up 101 and you come into the exit for Pastor Robles and you look to the right, you will see a great big building on the right that looks like a barn. And that's our church. And they looked at me like, a barn. Great. You know, these guys are from the Bay Area, and they're not quite up with what barns are and such. And, and so I said, yeah. And they said, well, why do you call it the barn? Is it like a country church or something like that? Or is it like a cowboy church? Well, I said, we got some cowboys in our church, but I wouldn't exactly call our church a cowboy church. They said, well, why did you call it the barn? And I said, well, first reason we called it the barn is we wanted, first of all, it looks like a barn, and the architect drew that, and that went through the city. That's a basic practical. But we have a mission statement that comes from this, and the first thing is that we want people to come as they are into church. We don't want people to pretend that their lives are more righteous or more together. We don't want people to put on fancy clothes unless that's who you are. Just come as you are every single Sunday. So that's the first reason that we, we have our church called the barn. They said, well, what about the second? I said, well, the second reason is because we want to see people sharpening the tools of their lives throughout the week. And I had to explain, because they're from the Bay Area, that a barn is a place where you sharpen tools. You go to any farmer out in this area here, anybody who's ever worked in the country, they will tell you that the barn is a place to sharpen the tools. And I said, we got a whole, I said, we do that all week long. I said, I see myself as the biggest tool in the church. And they said, we, we understand and, but then they said, then they said, but I said, you know, we want people to come to Joyce Myers. We want people to come to Beth Moore. We want people to come to Financial Peace University, to Bible studies, to marriage classes, to teenager club, whatever it is, we want people to get better at their lives, to get better at the Bible. And this is what we have the barn for. And the third reason I said we call it the barn is we want it to be a place where people can come in from the shelter of the storms said, I don't know how it is up there in the Bay Area, but I said, we got storms in our area. We've got financial storms, and we've got unemployment storms, and we've got just depression storms, and physical health storms, and we've got, we've got emotional health storms, and we've got kids who are needing extra school time, and so we need a place for people to come in from the storms. So I said, that's why we call it the barn. They said, that's pretty cool that your mission statement is connected with like your actual architecture. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty much how we planned it here. <laughs> I said, tell me about your church. What's the architecture of your church? Is it connected to the mission statement of your church? They said, actually, our church is just a big old cement block. I said, so it is connected to the... No, I didn't say that. <laughs> so, okay, so let's think about what the model for the very first church in history was. 
it wasn't actually a barn, but you know that there was actually a mission statement connected to the image of the first church. And there were two images, the very first church in history. One was the family. Have you ever heard about the church called about brothers and sisters in Christ? That's family conversation. That's what you would call your family. So the first image about what this is is that it was a family. But the second image that they had of the early first church was of a house, that this would be like a house. The Greek word for house is oikos. Would you say that with me? Oikos. It's incidentally where they got the name for the new denomination we're looking at called eco. comes from oikos, house. And in the early church, there were people meeting in houses. So the image of the barn is not so far from the image of a house. But what I want to talk about today is this deep conviction that I had just recently that, you know, this church hasn't even begun yet. I had that deep idea this last week. This is a great foundation. I like what Caleb said, and I like the compliment that he paid to me, and I do think that there's a great foundation here. But I personally don't believe that this church has even begun yet. And let me explain that to you. So let's look at the very first church in history. How did that work? So there was uh, this, this incredible period of three years where Jesus preached and taught, and he healed, and then he died, and then he ascended into heaven. And then the disciples went into this real period of anxiety and fear. By the way, that happens sometimes when a spiritual leader leaves. There's an immediate period of of insecurity and anxiety and fear. But you know what the disciples did in that moment? They prayed. And they prayed. And they prayed. And they prayed. And they locked themselves in an upper room. And they prayed some more. And they prayed some more. And they prayed some more. And the Bible tells us that after they prayed, and we don't know how long, a great wind came through the upper room. And it blew through that place, and then there were flames of fire on each of their heads. And then something inside the disciples decided to help them want to go out to the street to meet people where they are. And so they started to speak to people in the language of the outsider. And then we're told from the Bible that Peter, this great preacher, stood up and he gave a sermon where 3,000 people were, had come to Christ. And then the church began. Now, if we look on our roles right now, we're looking at somewhere between 2,000 and 3,000 people who are somehow in this spectrum of church thing that we call. And as we sit at this precipice, I believe that this is the moment when God wants to begin this church. And let me show you what I mean. What happened at that moment? Now, notice there is no senior pastor of the church at that moment. It is the Holy Spirit working in this time and this place. Let's look at the recipe. It's called the Acts 2 Church. Let's listen how God worked in that oikos, the very first barn. It begins this way, Acts 2, 42 through 47. They, that is the 3,000, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, there were 11 of them at that point. And some of them were great preachers. I mean, Peter, he could really give a great sermon. Some of them weren't so good. James was a little tightly wound and didn't deliver his message very well sometimes. Thomas, he sort of gave his message a little bit hemming and hawing sometimes. But do you know what? It doesn't say that they devoted themselves to some of the apostles' teachings. It says they devoted themselves to all of the apostles' teachings, even preachers that came along that that may have not been stem winders. God spoke through them to this group. And then it says, to the fellowship The Greek word here is koinonia, which literally means relationships. Do you have any relationships in this church? I mean that. Think about that for a moment. Do you have any relationships here? 
And by the way, we've started this whole change of time reason thing for one reason, so that you can help develop some relationships. We're going to be committed to that this summer. We're going to try to have some donuts and stuff out here so that you can hang out. We know donuts help with relationships. (laughs) And if you do have relationships, commit yourself to those. Call up that person and say, hey, I'm praying for you today. How are things going? Anything I can do for you? Can we bring dinner over? I know that so-and-so has not been feeling well. Devote yourselves to those things. To the breaking of the bread. In this case, it means meals. Have dinners for whatever this summer. Have meal times. Have organized stuff. But also communion. They had communion together. And to prayer. You know, it wasn't just the prayer team praying. It was like 3,000 people praying. You know what God could do with that? You know what God can do with that many people who are praying and committed to this thing? And I love this 43, everyone was filled with awe. The word in Greek here is phobos, which is like this anxious, anxiety, fear, excitement. I'm guessing that's how Caleb felt when he got, went down on his knee and proposed to Amanda. He might have felt that anxious, fear, excitement thing. It's a great feeling. That's a great feeling. And God gave them this. This isn't a boring church. This isn't just, you know, locking yourself away. And this is a, a, a church that's filled with that excitement and fear and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. This is key. You know how you create a great pastor? Be a great church. Be a great church. If I have ever had a chance to be great, I think let's just start with good. If I have ever had a chance to be good here, it's been God and you. And I kid you not about that. You can't be a good pastor unless you've got a good church. You can't be. You know what I thought about? I'm going to write about this in my blog post tomorrow. Being a pastor is like body surfing. Has anyone been to a concert before and like, like seen the body surfing thing where you're like kind of raised up? And by, okay, you haven't seen that? I, I've never done this before, but I like the idea. So the, the singer up front like decides to launch himself out into the crowd somewhere through it, and then everybody else keeps that person right like up there. That's what it is to be a pastor. But you can't be a great pastor unless you've got a church who are lifting you up like that. And this church has. This church has done that for me in spades. And I love this. All the believers came together and gave everything in common. They, they gave, selling their possessions and their goods, they gave to anyone who had need. Do you know that from day one here, we have given to anyone who has need? Over a thousand people have come through our doors and this church has given to over a thousand people in the Samaritan Fund. A thousand. And just so you know, there's a deacon's fund here and that has been mostly for people who are in this church and that is a huge part of helping this congregation as well. So they gave to anyone on need every day. They continued to meet together, not just on Sunday. In the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes. They ate together. They were glad, sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Do you know, I love this. The whole town loved the fact that they were church. You know, there are a lot of people who will never go to Highlands, but they are sure glad we are here. It's true. Do you know how many people in this town just love the fact that we're here? People in the city council, people in the police department. If this church wasn't here, this, I wouldn't want to live in this town. But let me just move back from that sentence for a second. <laughs> but God save us. This church is here, and God is using this in this time and in this place. And this is my favorite, favorite, favorite line. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Daily. And you know, we looked back on our records. 52 Sundays, almost seven years, we have every single Sunday had somebody who was here for the very first time. 
Every Sunday. Maybe it's a kid downstairs in the children's ministries program up here. But every Sunday, somebody's been... I would ask you if you're here for the first time, but we don't want you to feel bad about that. So just know that every single Sunday, God has brought somebody new to this place. So that's it. Communion, relationships, listening to the apostles' teachings, committing yourself to prayer, having a church where no perfect people are allowed, come as you are, that it's a place to sharpen the tools and a place to have a shelter from the storms. And that's the church. Uh, I, I know that you know this. I have family in Scotland, and I talk about them a little too much, and I'm sorry about that for the last four years, seven years. But I also have family in Merced, California, that are as important to me. And they are farmers from 150 years ago. They're the Kale family, and they had thousands of acres back in the day. They, they did a lot of things. Uh, they ran cattle, and they had horses, and they had almonds, which, you know, you knock the L out of them, and then they hit the ground. It's a, it's a Merced joke. But, so, I have this family in Merced. And I drove out to see, now they used to have thousands of acres, but they've had to sell off to ConAgra or somebody, and now they've just got the barn. That's all that's left of the Merced Ranch, is the barn, between LaGrange and Plainsboro. And I drove out there the other day just to, just to see them. And you never know, with the guys who have been around a while, how long you're going to be able to see them. So I drove out there up the old dirt road, and I drove around and around the corner and around the side, and I drove up, and there was the old barn, 150 years old. And I could see that there were cracks in it, and I could see that it wasn't exactly perfect, but I really came to kind of just see the old place. And so I, I came into the, that little driveway, and uh, an older man came out of the door. He sort of scuffled my direction, but he was kind of scowling at me a little bit. Couldn't tell if he had a stick or a gun in his hand, and that kind of made me nervous. Like, he wasn't sure about the city slicker here. So I came in there, and this older man came over to me, and he looked me in the eye, and he looked me in the eye, and he said, aren't you Ruth Kale's great-great-grandson? I said, yes, I am. He said, I thought so. I said, well, I'm a pastor in Paso Robles just over the way there. He said, oh, great. Well, I said, I just came to see the barn and just to see you and see how things are going here. Well, he said, let's go on over and take a look at it. So we went on over and we looked inside this great big barn and there was hay up here and there was an old hook hanging from here and there was a pitchfork over here. And then I kid you not, right over there was, was like this man leaning against the wall, a cowboy like the real kind. He had, a, he had a big old buckle. And he was leaning against the wall, and I could see down at his feet were about four empty beer cans. And it was only 10 in the morning. And uh, Leslie, he said, uh, that's Lude Cowd over there. I said, well, hi, Lude. I'm Graham. Lude didn't say anything. He said, Lude's hitting some hard times. I said, I can kind of see that. But Lude used to be a rodeo champion. Oh, really? I said, you, been, you were a rodeo champion, Lude? Lude didn't say anything. I said, well, have you ever been to Paso Robles? He said, I won that four times. True story. Lude Cowd won the Paso Robles rodeo four times. I said, what about Pendleton, Oregon? You ever been there? Oh, I've been up there. I won that one too. What about Red Bluff? You ever been up there? Oh, I've been that one. Won that one too. 
Lude came out and he started doing some tricks with his lasso and he was the real deal. So I looked around the barn for a little while, but I will tell you, I thought about this. Come as you are into the barn. As I was getting ready to go, I said goodbye to Leslie and I walked over to my car and Lude came over and said, I, I hear you're a pastor. I said, I am. He said, would you pray for me? And I had a prayer right there with Lude Cowd. Now, as I think about this church and I think about what God is doing here and I think about this great mission project, I think about people like Lude coming through these doors and coming to Christ again and again and again. And I think about the work of what God is doing. And I think about this church in 150 years, how many people might be changed by Jesus Christ in this place. So for the last seven years, I've had a three-point or a four-point sermon. But today, I just have one point. And I want you to remember it. Don't ever forget how important this church is to the kingdom of God. Don't ever forget that. This church matters a lot, a lot. It's changed lives. There's an old farmer and he's in the barn and he's, he's milking his cow and a fly comes in and flies and buzzes around and the fly goes in the ear of the cow and it disappears for a while, but the farmer's still got his milking going and he's working on the old udders down there and the fly comes down and it comes right out the udder and the farmer figures it's in one ear, out the udder. I'm sorry, it's my last Sunday, all right? I gotta save the worst for last. You can tell that one to your grandpa. (laughs) So a woman, um, (laughs) I really am, that's bad. A woman came up to me at the gym last week and she said, my son, his life was changed through this church. He's on the right path. A couple came to me last Sunday. They said, you don't understand, this church brought balance into our lives. Thank you. There's another couple who came to me in tears a couple of weeks ago, and they said, this church saved our marriage. This church matters. This isn't just a show. This isn't just an operation. As things get tough, as things get tough, and things sometimes do, as as pastors nominating committees and organization happens, and there are holes in the old barn that happen that have to be fixed, remember that this, this really matters. This is God's plan for the salvation of the world. This is it. On the Sunday that I preached, when we first came into the barn, I told this story, and I'll close with it today. There's a farmer who was out there somewhere Midwest, and uh, he was trying to put the animals in the barn because there was a big storm. It was the midder, middle, middle, good, Graham. It was the middle of the winter, and it was going to be a cold night, and he knew that most of the animals were going to die if they didn't get him in the barn, so we got them all in. But then a weird thing happened. There were all these geese that somehow hadn't like, got the memo that they needed to go south and they just missed the, the, the ride or whatever and they're way up there in the middle of the Midwest and it's going to be winter and this farmer knows if he doesn't get these geese into the barn, they're going to die too. So this farmer thinks about it and he tries to figure out how is he going to get these geese into the barn and he tries to kind of shoo them into the barn but then they, they don't go and then he tries to get an old stick and he tries to beat them into the barn. 
He tries to make him feel real bad about being outside of the barn. But he knows that doesn't work. And then he realized the only way he was going to actually get in, get the geese into the barn, is if he would become a goose. And he'd fly around and he would then fly into the barn and the geese would fly in. And then he sat down and he thought about Jesus. How there were all these geese in the world who needed to be in the barn. And the only way for Jesus to communicate that through thousands of years of Old Testament was finally to come as one of them, to live for them and to die for them, and to come back to life again for them. And that's why we're here. Farmer was feeling kind of bad about it, but then he did see this other goose. He just decided that this goose knew exactly where he was going, and he went right into the barn, and then the rest of them went right in. And God will do that again and again. And daily, God will add to this church's numbers. Father in heaven, thank you for that. Thank you for your word and your goodness. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for this time and this place and this kingdom. Thank you for this mission. And we know, Lord, we know, Lord, that you have just begun this church. And that now you will knit together all these pieces and create something that even the angels in heaven and you yourself will be proud to say that you were a part of. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org.